When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the World of Work podcast, brought to you by the Aggie Evo System, UC Davis Athletics' one-of-a-kind initiative that focuses on preparing student-athletes for a successful launch into life after graduation. Happy Thursday, Aggie Evo fans. If it's Thursday night, it must be time for the Aggie Evo World of Work Coffee Talk podcast, part of our ongoing effort to help Aggie student-athletes better know and navigate the world of work by introducing them to some of our extraordinary alums that are out in the world doing cool things. Because we know the best chance athletes have of finding their path is learning about all the different possibilities that are out there and meeting people that have done exactly what they've done. And I'm very excited to have followed the journey of tonight's guest, former football great Dr. Ishman Anderson. It gives me great joy to say that as well. Founder of my other brother, my other brother, MOB, and a doer of cool things in the Bay Area. Good evening, Dr. Anderson. Hey, good evening, brother. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It is, uh, it is good to see and hear you. I, um, I I start every interview with the same question. You are welcome to go with it any way you want. A part of the Evo system is we try to teach athletes the art of storytelling to mm-hmm. understand their identity and tell their story to the world. So you tell me your story and, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I'll try to see if I can, I can do this here. I'm pretty, I was a pretty straight shooter. Um, but, you know, uh, I think I'll go back to my foundation. So I, I'm from West Oakland. Um, the first of my family to go to college, of course. Um, you know, uh, growing up in West Oakland, the inner city over there, we call it a hood, uh, the killer 20s neighborhood. And in um, my experience, too, I want to make sure I name this, too, because it wasn't just, you know, I think a lot of folks when they come from the hood, they talk about all the deficits, right, and the gunshots and the drugs. That stuff is there. Don't get it wrong. Right. But it was also a lot of love there, and a lot of validation and affirmation and uh, a sense of community there. And I just always bring up West Oakland because uh, in so many ways it really shaped. Uh, my trajectory and, and where I went afterwards. Um, so I was a fullback in high school, McClimates, the McClimates High School, which is uh, our state, cha- uh, well, not this year, but uh, we won a few state championships in the Bay Area at McClimates. Um, and uh, I, I take pride in being a fullback too, because I feel like the position is nearly extinct now, especially a blocking fullback. But um, I was lucky enough to get a football scholarship at UC Davis. And, uh, you know, very grateful. And I remember back then, um, I think it was a, uh, might have been Coach Eric Sanders, a guy named Eric Sanders, who was uh, recruiting me, you know, Coach Biggs and Eric Sanders. And 
it was just such an exciting time in my life to, you know, to have folks, you know, come on campus and, you know, Coach, uh, Coach Alonzo Carter would say, hey, the coach is here to see you. And, you know, it was just a dream come true because prior to UC Davis and some other experiences, we haven't really stepped on a college campus like that, you know. So um, I did see college like as an escape and I would watch movies like, you know, you know, um, like school days, uh, you know, movies like American Pie and things like that. I'm like, man, college looks fun as hell. You know, I just wanted to be there. So um, initially that was like my first sort of grounding for college that it seems to be a space of peace and fun and education. It was something a lot different from what I was seeing in my neighborhood, to be honest with you. So um, I was just, you know, super duper excited. And um, yeah, while I'm getting that scholarship at UC Davis, I got UC Davis. Um, I played ball for, for four years, including my redshirt year, right? Um, uh Major in sociology uh, with a double minor in uh, education to kind of Chicano studies. Um, I, you know, and I should slow down here because when I first got to Davis, and Coach Biggs will, will tell you this, I had a lot of self doubt. You know, I, I mean, I was in this office like, man, I don't know if I can do this. And, you know, uh, it was very just strange because, you know, this imposter syndrome thing was big for me. All my friends were going to prison back home in West Oakland, uh, you know, getting shot up in the streets. And um, I remember folks home, um, you know, telling me, you know, man, keep doing your thing ish. You know, um, I was getting phone calls from prison, San Quentin prison, Santa Rita prison. My quarterback, you know, uh, LaRon, uh, when we went to college, he wanted, you know, catching the case and going to federal prison for seven years. And I remember writing him, you know, while I was at UC Davis, but I just remember having this sort of lifestyle that was so different than a lot of people or my peers growing up. And it always uh, made me feel very, uh, very strange. And one respect was I was blessed and happy and had a good time at Davis, but then I always felt this sense of guilt or, even sometimes, like, man, will I actually make it? Am I destined uh, to make it? I mean, um, I, I'll even mention this, and Coach Biggs couldn't can, can vouch this. There are times where I was like, you know what? You know, screw this. I'm going to go back home, go back to the hood. You know, forget this football stuff. You know, and I was very quick to, to say, forget football. I did that a lot of times. I, did, I quit like three or four times, you know, during, during my career, even early, you know. But um, the coaches, Coach Morosky and Coach Biggs, they just poured around me and it really wrapped their arms around me and my teammates and even me getting connected on campus. I think those things were very influential at Davis and, and me uh, thriving. So um, I had this family on campus uh, through the football program, of course, through good coaches. Um, and then I also would branch out and get involved in things like the Black Student Union and get involved in programs like EAOP on campus and things like that. And that, what that did is it just gave me a sense of home at UC Davis that, that made me feel comfortable there, right? Because it was always this sort of intertwined battle between the hood and Davis. And I really battled that big time back then too, you know? Um, so, uh, but I had a good experience overall, you know? Um, by the time I got to my, you know, I had some ankle problems too. Um, by the time I got to my June, my red shirt junior year, I was a three-year starter at fullback. I didn't have a good career. Um, three I was, uh, by the time I got to my junior year, it was my fourth year academically, uh, coming off of what, two ankle surgeries already. So I, I didn't know if I could if I could really do it coming back again. Plus, um, I started to really get into academics, and I wanted to go to grad school and things like that. And I started exploring grad school. So I ultimately made the decision to you know graduate early and actually just go straight uh, into a graduate program after after my after my fourth year academically, which is my junior year football wise. Um, Can I put a pin in that for a minute? Because I think that's a really critical moment, especially for somebody that comes out of a first generation college background. Yeah. Is there a moment where you go, oh, grad school is a thing and I feel confident I can do that now? Or was it somebody that said a mentor? Or what was it that flipped that switch for you? It's a good question, brother. I mean, it definitely wasn't just a flip. It was people, um, professors, uh, Professor Miroslava Chavez Garcia. She's my one of my Chicano studies professors. Um, 
Professor Bruce Haynes, sociology. Um, it was also Laura Goldhammer, my academic advisor at UC Davis, you know, pouring into me. Um, the, the College of Letters and so Social Sciences at Davis, sociology department. Um, what happened is, is I really started getting into writing papers and just really getting into academics. And I would go to office hours a lot. And in these office hours, um, the professors would tell me I'm a good writer. Man, and they would ask me, well, what are you doing next? And I didn't real, I didn't know at the time what I was going to do. Um, I just knew that, man, I'm going to be graduating soon. Um, I don't think I'll have a shot at the NFL. My ankle's dinged up. Sheesh, you know, this has been a good run. This has been a good escape, right, from the hood. I've been in college for four years. But, uh, man, it's going to be over soon. What am I going to do? You know, and if I don't do something quick and figure out what my thing is going to be here, then I, I might end up going back. Uh, to the hood and getting stuck there, you know, and that was just a huge fear of mine. Um, you're talking, you're talking to a guy. I didn't have a driver's license at this time, anything, you know. I, I was just sort of, uh, you know, the big thing for me is just, hey, I'm glad he made it to college, right? But being influenced uh, by my professors, also had an internship working with EAOP with Carlos Carter and Caden Carter, um, uh, the early academic outreach program that Biggs and uh, Carlos helped me get. And Coach Biggs knew about it, and, and again, those programs have me doing outreach in the inner city. You know, mentoring youth in Sacramento and trying to help them get to college. Youth that came from similar backgrounds as me, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and really doing that work influenced me to say, you know what? I think I would like to do this type of work as a career. I don't know exactly what it means. I don't know if it's me working in, you know, working in jails and trying to help juveniles get out of jail. I don't know if it's me being a youth coach like that, like that movie, um, Gridiron Game, right? I don't know if it's uh, me being a teacher. I just know I want to have some sort of impact on urban inner city youth who come from similar backgrounds as me. And, and uh, my internship uh, at UC Davis helped me figure that out. You know, my mentors and professors had uh, uh, influenced me to, to consider going to get a master's degree in uh, student affairs because they told me that that work that I was doing was considered to be student affairs. So I remember sitting down and, uh, you know, um, she, she has crazy to bring my memories now. You know, wow. Um, sitting down and just, uh, working on my personal statement and, uh, you know, looking at different uh, funding packages and uh, they were recommending me to, hey, if you, if you are applying to the schools, you should do an information session so they can get to know who you are and go down there. And uh, I remember being broken, having money, and even some of them giving me money to get down there. I caught the Greyhound, you know, <laughs> and just, you know, and, and, but it was, it was huge. And I mean, I wound up getting accepted to UCLA's master's program in student affairs. I got accepted in the University of San Francisco's program in, in, in higher ed student affairs. And I actually got into UC Davis School of Education. Uh, the only school I did not get accepted into was UC Berkeley Cal. Um, and I ultimately made the decision, of course, to go to UCLA. And that's where I got my master's degree at, you know. And um, I think that, uh, you know, getting my master's really was, was a game changer. When I was at UCLA, that was the first time I was sort of uh, really on my own because I was in L.A. You know, Davis was still only an hour away from Oakland. So I was able to go home on weekends sometime, after, you know, when the season wasn't in. But at UCLA, it helped me grow up and become a man and have to sort of navigate things on my own out there um, with the foundation I was set in place for UC Davis, of course. And um, I had a good run at UCLA. And after I graduated UCLA, I got my first job uh, paying full time um, with, with the EOP program. EOP stands for uh, Education Opportunity Program, which is the program working with first generation college students like myself. And that was the first time at the age of 24 where I was able to, to afford getting my own apartment and, uh, you know, I wanted to get my driver's license and all that type of stuff. So, you know, to be quite frank with you, that was me from an individual level. Because we can talk about racism and all the other things that I've encountered. And, you know, we know what things are systematically. Um, but from an individual level, that was like my taste of like, man, wow, you know, this is something, this means something to me. I have this Because clearly, I'll be frank, 
a dream for me is just being able to have my own place, you know, to have my own room and, you know, all that type of stuff. So, you know, being able to afford that just mental world to me and I, and I start to just feel successful. And um, I think that other people probably poured into me more. Right? I thought I was just some average West Oakland guy who just got lucky and got a good job. But everyone else, even back then, they were telling me, man, you should write a book, you know, like, you know, things like that. You know, so it's just crazy, uh, just crazy times. But um, I'm very grateful for my experience at UC Davis. I think I appreciate it a lot more now than what I did back then. I think I took something for granted back then, to be quite frank with you. Um, and, uh, you know, even skipping up a little here, uh, going back to my first job after UCLA, which is EOP, uh, I worked there for three years at Kelsey East Bay. Um, it was during that time, you, you know, we're on the helms of Trayvon Martin and, you know, Mike Brown, all these, these people. And um, a lot of our black male students on my caseload, right, because I was an academic advisor, um, they would come to my office and, and not want to talk about academics. They just want to talk about race and event and talk about these issues and culture. Um, and, and that led to us creating a club on campus. So uh, my the brother of this program that I'm the director of right now, the founding director, was initially just a club at East Bay campus that we use uh, for young black males, first generation college black males uh, to uh, have a blend on campus. I had no idea that started in your time at East Bay. Oh, that's super cool. Yes, sir. That's, not the, that's absolutely correct, brother. It was actually a pilot back then. Yeah. What we would do is we'll meet, I'll meet after work. We'll have a little reserve a room on campus. Uh, we'll use that space to talk about, hey, what does it mean to be you? What does it mean to be a young black man? Uh, we'll use the space to, to talk about solutions to finding our communities. We'll talk about internalized racism like black on black uh, issues that we had also, um, issues with our women. Um, um, uh, we'll have, we invite guest speakers to do resume workshops. And uh, it's like this, we, we learned, it's like we built the curriculum uh, through uh, through practice, right? We didn't like have some curriculum. We just like came up with stuff. And then like, now we have a curriculum now, right? We draw from stuff we did. But um, back then, it was just us being creative and the students and myself coming up with things. And then to the point that we're like, man, we want to winning awards on campus and building a big, big numbers. And it's just like, oh, we got this thing going on. But what happened is that uh, we knew that if we were going through these issues as college students, me being a, a person with a master's degree now, right, first-gen student, along with my first-gen students in a club, we can only imagine what our youth are going through in the inner cities in K-12 still. And that's what initially got us to wanting to go establishing partnerships in K-12 and branching off of the college campus. Um, West Oakland Middle School is our first school to be reached out to. And back then it was just saying, hey, we got these college students, we got this club called MLB. Um, if, you, if you're looking for any college students to come talk to your, your middle school youth about college and life and life skills and, you know, yada, 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 let us know. Now, we, want, we will go there and do panel sessions and things like that. Similar to what I remember when I was at Davis, we did a few of those. When we had bringing recruits, we'll get like a panel of athletes to come talk about our experiences. We'll do the same thing, but just for the mob club. And we would hit it off so well and we were so relatable that um, the administrators in K-12 would say, you know, what, man, we got to get a contract going. We can get you guys here permanently and not just come here, you know, volunteering, you know, and, and that was our introduction to K-12. And that was back in 2017. And, um, you know, since then to now, we've grown to have six or seven school sites uh, contracting, you know, with school sites in Oakland Unified School District. Uh, we've branched off to now Mount Diablo Unified School District. Um, we even have elementary school youth. You know, we work with community-based organizations also. And uh, really the framework is um, uh, providing wraparound support services to young interested youth, Black youth in particular. Um, uh, from an individual level, social emotional support, house visits, academic advising, HG requirements, clearing house for the athletes, of course, um, you know, teacher engagements, um, and, and things are a little more um, off the record too, like literally just getting, you know, getting after our kids. Hey, what the hell are you doing 
stop hanging out in the hallways, go to class, right? That type of stuff too. That's the individual component. And then of course, there's a group component where we bring everyone together as a group and we do, we do programming with the students, workshops and, uh, you know, dialogue sessions, cultural sessions and guest speakers and uh, just pretty much anything we have to do to accomplish the goal of making sure our kids have a plan of action for life after they graduate high school, whether it be college, trade, school, career, uh, so on and so forth. And I got to put a plug year, there before I forget that we you you gave us a job listing. So anybody listening is interested in this work should go to the LinkedIn feed or the Evo Pro app and check out the opportunity with my other brother. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. Thank you so much for a reminder, Dr. Mike. Um, and yeah, you know, so um, this program, my other brother, I also want to do research, right? And, and really starting to measure, you know, what the program represented. Because we found it was little, it wasn't just as simple as like, you know, a mentor program. We got a lot of mentor and college access programs that are great, by the way. Upper Bound, Trio, EAOP, all these trio are great. I think for us, it was the cultural component and, uh, and the uh, solidarity component. And I, I, to be honest with you, I, I borrowed from uh, my street background, growing up in the hood, but also my athletic background, right? The camaraderie that we would have as, as being on a football team uh, where you can actually hold, uh, uh, you know, kids accountable and then. And um, so, for example, uh, I remember I remember we were, I remember doing UC Davis. Uh, Coach Biggs would address us as gang sometimes, like "Hey, gang," you know that type of thing, right? So, you know, which is just a team framework, right? So, um, this sort of gang or team framework, I applied that to youth. And if it could be anything like even study sessions, let's do it together. Uh, you know, right now our seniors are working on FAFSA and financial aid, and sometimes they struggle doing it on their own. But when we do it together, everyone does better when it's together. You know, so even that framework has been working for us, and we had our uh, we had a, our, our graduate, our first graduating class in Castlemont last year, and um, 100%, 100% success rate for all of our kids now in either college or working full time or in trade programs. You know, um, but going back to the research, <clears throat> this work led me to getting a doctorate degree. Um, yeah, tell teaching. me about that because I don't remember the start of the journey. I just know that the journey is now done. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You know, the start of the journey actually began around 2017. Um, I thought to really do research on the MOB program, even back when it was a club on campus, and just really asking students, well, what does MOB represent to you? What is this sort of space that's about belonging and community? Uh, what does it mean to you? And what are the implications of a space like this for young black males? And then um, the research was so, just so thick and deep, and they were uh, saying such critical things that I, didn't, I couldn't really connect it to formal things in the academy. And I wound up uh, doing research and I wound up connecting to what they were saying. So many of the aspects of what Tupac Shakur is saying in terms of his thug life framework, and when we talk about thug or thug life, we're not talking about going around, you know, hurting people. We're not talking about that. We're talking about how Tupac constructed it, which is just like this underdog philosophy, this working class sort of mentality and, and, and grounding unity and, and brotherhood and rebellion and things like that. And um, that led me to want to get a, getting a doctor degree. Um, I struggled also. Like you see how I dressed with a beanie and hoodie on. And I'll be frank. Um, and this is from uh, white administrators, black administrators, you name it. I mean, it was more of a class thing, I feel. But uh, I, I kind of ran a buddy heads a little bit. You know, people said I was not professional because of my image and um, uh, had this reputation of doing great work. But, well, I don't know. Um, could just get to this glass ceiling because uh, he doesn't want to change his image? You know, those things really it just really bothered me. I did feel like it was anti-blackness or anti-urban blackness, I guess you say. Um, and I knew back then that if I wanted to accomplish what I want to accomplish, that I would probably have to build something on my own. And that was actually another foundational uh, uh, reason why I created MOB also, um, because um, I felt that I was repressed and I felt that, um, I don't know if I was gonna better work my way up student affairs ladder unless I changed myself. And I didn't wanna do that because um, 
the very person who I was was a thing that was engaging so many students, right? So I didn't want to change that. Um, and, and, you know, Lord behold, as soon as I created my, all the other opportunities start coming out of nowhere again, such as me teaching now also. Um, but um, yeah, that was the foundational reason why I wanted to get a doctorate to do research, but to also um, to give myself more leverage to find more, more opportunities instead of just sort of trying to work my way up uh, sort of the higher end ladder, especially with my image. You know, getting a doctorate was foundational. I met great people in my cohort. Um, I was able to expand my work through research lens, uh, get access to different funders out there. And uh, I started going to conferences like AARA and doing presentations. And for the first time in my life, I went out of the country, went to Canada and did a presentation, you know, and, I, and it was just, it was for me, it was just huge, you know. Uh, so I'm very thankful for my experience as a, as a, as a, as a, uh, a, a scholar. And, um, and I also I landed my first teaching gig at SF State also as a professor. So I do teach full time as a faculty lecturer. Uh, in the criminal justice studies department while running the mob and other things like that. So, um, you know, the work is still going and still building, but, um, you know, that's what brought me here uh, to the space, you know, uh, the West Oakland kid to UC Davis athlete uh, to, you know, building community on campus and, you know, just finding things. And, and here's the truth for those who are listening, especially my young brothers and really just everyone uh, who are just young in general. Sometimes it might not be some basic formula that this is just like, hey, I'm going to get a job and I get my degree and I get a job. Oftentimes, these opportunities come from the connections you make along your journey, you know, uh, making these connections. So if you can get out there, start volunteering somewhere, right, or taking an internship somewhere, or, you know, even some of the smallest, like, when you have, when you have opportunities to serve on panels, you know, Aggie Evo or, or, or athletics is saying, hey, we have a group coming up, and would you like to volunteer to share a story? That's stuff that can go in your resume, you know, and, and, and that may be a start for you. You know, for me, that, it was a start for me also. Um, I, I didn't share this, but before... Um, I got my first internship at UC Davis, worked with Diego P. I had to have something to say I was qualified. And a lot of my work was saying, hey, I did this panel for UC Davis Athletics and I shared my experience. And so um, one thing leads to another. So I want my young folks to, uh, my young athletes, my young Aggies to understand that one thing leads to another, you know, so, um, you know, just make sure you get active and get, get involved. Out. Well, I'm super grateful that you persisted because I, I've, it's terrible that the academy feels that way, but there is so much class and racial bias in terms of who we should look like as scholars. And I think the more people that can be scholarly and be true to themselves, the greater chance we have of refreshing the academy with different voices, different perspectives, different experiences, different histories, instead of saying we're all supposed to look like, uh, honestly, like me. I mean, that's, that's yeah. not where it should be at. Uh, that, that is awesome. And I, you are still young, my friend, and there's a whole book in there already. Um, so I'm <laughs> sure there, there are several books ahead. So many threads uh, since this is the start of Black History Month, and I I love your story. Anybody that has studied the diaspora and understands the flow of people from southeastern U.S. to L.A. and to Oakland and the history of Oakland in right. that's so important to hip hop culture, to black culture on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, it, your journey is sort of the epitome of all that. Um, and move it to the next level. So I'm I'm grateful for your persistence and what you've already given back to the community. Um, I only got time for a question or two. I, I guess first question, and probably the most important one, if you could go back and advise 18-year-old you, as nervous as you were, as inadequate as you felt, as as difficult as that was, what would you go back and tell yourself? Oh, that's a good question. You know, um, I would tell myself that as long as I still have that, that drive to show up, even if I'm nervous, as long as I'm showing up, then that's the right thing to do. Uh, from there on, 
so just trust the process. I think that's why one struggle I had is just trusting the process, um, which is why I panic a lot, you know. But also, to be honest, uh, there are some gains to, to, be, to, to living out of fear, right? Because <laughs> I feared, you know, failure, fear, like going back home and all these negative things. I just worked so hard, you know. But um, um, maybe somebody doesn't have to be so fearful so long as they're, um, so long as they trust the process. And what the process is, is that continue to show up, persist, ask questions, meet with people. Um, do what you have to do. And, uh, and again, right, just don't be afraid to ask questions, right? I think the more questions you ask, the better. So I would tell myself to, to trust the process, trust that things will work out if I'm doing all the foundational things, which is just make sure I show up and try to have the best attitude uh, that I can. I don't think uh, I had a, um, I mean, people will tell you, if you ask folks who played with me during my, my time at Davis, I was pretty known on the team. I had a good reputation, um, but also could have an attitude at times too. And I think that, um, uh, um, what could have made my experience better is uh, just having a better attitude and buying in uh, earlier on. Later on, I supposed to buy in, but earlier on, uh, I, I, I would I, I would say that buying in early and it will be a, a good thing. I'll tell a uh, young eight year olds buying in, and again, as long as you're persistent, showing up, asking questions, right, and getting out there, um, you, you really can't go wrong. You know, as an eighteen year old. So I can probably guess the answer to the next question, but I, I want to hear anyway. You developed some skills from your life experience uh, growing up in West Oakland. You developed some skills from football. You developed skills at Davis as a football player, as a scholar. Of all the things you developed while you're at Davis in particular, is there one thing you'd point to that you would say, yeah, this is what's really making me successful now and what I do? As far as the athletic component? Any skill. Uh, if it's mm-hmm. athletic, then that's something that obviously transfers to what you do now. Yes. Um, so here's what I would say, right? And again, everything kind of, everything sort of, is connected to some component, but I'll just talk about the foundation aspect. Playing football, even to this day, for those four years, right? That includes my the year I registered, it was three years I lettered. Um, probably one of the most difficult things I ever did in my life, right? Having to do 6 a.m. workouts, having to like, you know, build a class schedule around football practice and just get a time to work out and find a way to eat, uh, taking constructive criticism, uh, working with people from different backgrounds as you. As you. Um, all those things uh, were, were things that were very, that were very difficult, uh, but they serve me well in life now. Um, um, you know, even the aspect of fighting through adversary, you know, you earn a starting spot and maybe you had a bad practice and like you're nervous, you lose your spot. So then you got to come back next week and, and, and grind it out and, and, and you got to put things behind you and keep moving forward, right? In life, right, you're going to face adversary, right? And I feel that the reason why um, I don't panic as much now when adversity shows up is because I've had such a foundation in the past of, you know, continue to push forward to, to rise above that stuff. And I think that when you're an athlete, um, really any athlete uh, at the collegiate level or higher, right, even in high school to a degree, but you're kind of forced to have to sort of go through forms of adversity in some regard. So I think that uh, those athletic skills carry me over. And then, of course, it shaped, you know, me being an academic scholar. I mean, I, I don't talk about this, but I almost, I almost flipped out of my dissertation committee. I'm like, hey, man, forget this stuff. I was like at 200 pages, like, man, what the heck? Can you just approve this? I, I'm done. But they're like, no, you're not done. We have more work where there's revisions. And I have to continue uh, to persist in that regard, right? Um, but again, the persistence was good. It turned out to be a good outcome uh, once I trust the process. So I think the biggest thing was my athletic framework uh, just taught me how to persevere through adversary. Adversity, um, and, um, you know, uh, also maybe, how should I put this? I don't, I don't mention this a lot, uh, Brother Mike, but the confidence piece, you know, being an athlete gives you a lot of confidence, too. Um, and whether the confidence is fake or real, I, I, I'll name, like, when I go to these conferences, I'm still nervous as hell. 
but they don't know I'm nervous, right? I mean, just like, you know, for games, I'm going to throw up before certain games. I'll be nervous. But again, when you're playing a football, you got to snap out and get to the game, you know? So, you know, all that stuff, being able to, to be in front of people and be evaluated and play in front of thousands of fans um, and you got fans heckling you and, or you're in camp and maybe you do something that's embarrassing. You got to watch the film the next day, right? All that stuff. Um, it prepared me for this field. So it helped me to like not be afraid of failure or uh, even if I am nervous to still be confident and go through it anyway. Right. So I think that those are a lot of things I gained from play, playing football, UC Davis. And um, of course that led to me even going harder uh, as an academic scholar and things like that. That's brilliant. I, I feel like I could talk for a long, long time about this, but unfortunately I'm up against the time cap for the podcast. I hope we can get, get you back to campus sometime in the real world now uh, when you got some time. Let, let's try to uh, connect you with Courtney and we'll set something up and get you out here to catch Anytime. up and have a little deeper talk. Dr. Ishman Anderson, it has been a pleasure, my friend. Um, this must end this week's version of the Aggie Evo World of Work Coffee Talk podcast. Thanks for listening to the World of Work podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and forward this to a friend. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation.